Welcome to episode number 100 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter with LNP Newspaper in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And we're switching things up this week for number 100 by turning the microphone on myself. It's odd. When I started this podcast two years ago, the initial goal was just to get it off the ground. Then once we did that, the next goal was to keep it going for one full year. That year came and went, and for some reason, people kept saying yes to my requests to come on this podcast. And I guess I was just having so much fun with it, I decided to keep it rolling. And now, here we are. We've been blessed to this point with some incredible guests. By my estimation, there were three former U.S. Olympians, four former pro athletes, four high school student athletes, 11 high school coaches, 12 pro athletes, 14 college coaches, and 25 college student athletes, and many more that don't really fit among those categories, but were still great guests nonetheless. To give you guys a peek behind the curtain a bit, I've personally been the man booking all of the podcast guests along the way, and surprisingly, I didn't really run into much trouble. Until, that is, came to episode number 100. I think that may have happened on purpose. Maybe the man upstairs intentionally made any possible responses to my multiple requests I've sent out over the last couple months to potential guests to instead go silent. See... I've had this in the back of my mind these last few months that maybe instead of hearing someone else's story, as we've done for the previous 99 episodes, that we instead turn the microphone on myself. Because I've been through some stuff personally, especially these last three years. I've generally kept those details private, but it's made me realize we all have our own ups and downs, and I guess that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place. Sure, I could have done like a weekly football or basketball show, and while that may have been fun, I felt I could do more in this approach with the Inspirational Athletes podcast. To bring in folks, hear about their toughest moments along the way, and learn how they climb their way out of those valleys, and maybe you guys and gals out there listening could learn something from it and apply it to your, to your own life. That's the kind of podcast that might make a difference in this world, at least in my eyes. But again, I was hoping someone else could be the guest for episode number 100, because as much as I don't mind telling my story if someone asks, I'm not going to intentionally put the spotlight on me, if that makes sense. Plus, of many things that I've learned over these last few years is that the worst moments of our lives, we're only meant to experience them once. It's not healthy to replay those moments over and over again in your mind. So in that sense, I will say telling my story, the story that you're about to hear, will be a challenge. But you know what? I guess I'm in the line of work where I ask others to have courage to tell their stories. And if they've had the courage to do so, I suppose it's time for me to work up the courage and return the favor. So here goes. I was 27 years old when I found myself in the basement of our home on a weekday morning back in February 2015. The beginning of a P90X video began rolling, starting with a quick warm-up followed by some stretching. I stretch my neck by putting my left ear to my left shoulder. It's then I notice my reflection in the mirror hanging on a wall nearby. There appeared to be a lump on the right side of my neck. Upon closer inspection, it looked like one of my lymph nodes was swollen. I didn't think much of it at the time. I just figured, I don't know, maybe my body was fighting a cold or maybe the lymph node became swollen because of it. Still, I thought to place a call to my family doctor. A week later, someone escorted me back to a room at the doctor's office. You know the drill. Check your height and weight, take your blood pressure, the doctor will be in to see you, yada yada yada. After a few minutes of questions about my health and feeling my neck under my armpits, stomach, and around my groin, the doctor knew immediately the severity of the lump on the right side of my neck. He was also concerned about the swollen tonsil on the back of my throat. I'm concerned it might be lymphoma, he said. 
My reaction? Well, if it is, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. For the next six days, I didn't tell a soul. And in case you're wondering, my long brown hair at the time could cover up the swollen lymph node on the right side of my neck, which is how I kept it a secret from my wife. The main reason I did this is because I did not want to alarm anyone. After all, I had not even gone for further scans or biopsies yet, so I couldn't tell someone I actually had cancer, which, as I've discovered, feels akin to dropping a ton of bricks on them. But a CT scan costs money, and I couldn't just charge it and hope my wife didn't notice. So, I came on a Monday night after work when I approached my wife at home on our living room couch. We need to talk, I said. There's a possibility I could have lymphoma. The next few minutes are kind of like a blur in my memory. She may have asked me if that meant I had cancer or if lymphoma is a type of cancer. I'm not really sure. I just remember she had a lot of tears while I comforted her until she regained her senses. The only reason I'm telling you this now is because I have to go for a CT scan tomorrow morning, I told her. Well, I'm going with you, she said. A good two months passed from the initial meeting with my family doctor until I actually met my oncologist. It's there he confirmed I had stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma. The technical term is actually lymphocyte-predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was stage 2 because it was in two locations, my right tonsil and the lymph node on the right side of my neck. Fortunately, we had caught it early. Also, it's one of the most curable types of cancer, so I was lucky. More on that in a bit. During this entire span of checkups and scans, my wife and I decided not to tell anyone about my health until we absolutely knew of the diagnosis and the ensuing treatment. Even then, shortly after we did learn all of this, my wife got a phone call informing her that her grandmother was in her final days. We decided then to wait even longer to tell anyone of my diagnosis. It would just be too much on her family to not only say their goodbyes to my wife's grandmother and also tell them I had cancer. Two days later, my wife's grandmother passed away after a long battle with cancer herself. We would wait another week before revealing my own cancer news to our families. We visited them on a Sunday, a Sunday that began with church and afterwards sitting down with our pastor in a spare room. We wanted to meet with our pastor so he could provide us with whatever guidance he might have and pray for us for the remainder of our day with the tasks ahead. Maybe it was God's love coming upon me at that very moment. Maybe it was a culmination of the difficulties of the previous weeks, but as our pastor prayed for us, he put his right arm over my shoulder and my wife held my left hand, and I can say then, that was the first time I cried over this whole thing. The first day of chemo came on May 19th, 2015. By the end, I would get chemotherapy once every three weeks for a total of six treatments over the course of about three months. Treatment itself consisted of getting hooked up to an IV and pumped full of drugs for several hours. My hair began falling out two weeks after my first chemo treatment, but I honestly did not have many side effects from the chemo drugs. I had a couple cold sores in my mouth early on, but those dissipated, and on the night of treatment I felt a little nauseous, and then in the 48 hours or two days after treatment, I would feel bloated, probably from all the liquid pumped into me during treatment. And the drugs themselves made my saliva taste like everything was covered in pool water for about a week after each chemo treatment. Now, I do want to say I'm not complaining about any of this, but instead just kind of giving you guys a picture of what it was like, because I will take those side effects over anything else. I know they could have been much worse. Plus, I continued to eat normally and maintain a regular work schedule. And I continued running a few miles each day throughout those few summer months of 2015, even the days after chemo treatment. 
Sure, I had crazy heartburn as I ran in the couple days after treatment, but I found running would speed up the process of getting the drugs out of my system quicker since I could sweat them out and get back to feeling normal sooner than later. Shortly after the completion of my last chemo treatment, I went for a CT scan on September 23, 2015, meeting up with my oncologist later that day. He informed me I was in the clear, officially cancer-free. The chemo had done its job and killed the cancer. It's worth noting here the type of Hodgkin's lymphoma I had is a type that could never show up again or could return in a year, three years, or 20 years. So, as a result, I now get a CT scan every six months through the year 2020, and then if I'm in the clear through 2020, I'll then get a, a CT scan once a year for the rest of my life. So that way, if it does show back up in the future, we'll be able to catch it early. But let's hope we never have to cross that bridge again. It's a chapter in my life that is behind me. Little did I know, an even more challenging chapter was right around the corner. I had done everything in my physical and spiritual power to battle through the lymphoma cancer in the six rounds of chemo over the summer of 2015. A brave face, a positive spirit, and as much as I could not let cancer keep me from living a normal life. There was nothing I could do physically in April 2016. It's then my wife and I visited a fertility center to hear the results of my sperm counts roughly six months after my last chemo treatment. It's at the fertility center where a doctor informed us that, as a result of the side effects of the chemo, I would never be able to conceive a child naturally. Now, we had done sperm banking with the fertility center before I had begun chemo treatment, but at the time, hearing such news was heartbreaking. A moment later, we sat in our car in the parking lot underneath a cloudy sky. My wife sobbed uncontrollably in the passenger seat. There was nothing I could do or say to improve the situation. It was the most helpless feeling I've ever experienced in my life. Eighteen months later, in October 2017, my wife took an at-home pregnancy test. She was officially pregnant with our first child. The amazing thing? We did not use the fertility center. Instead, we had conceived the child naturally. God certainly has a sense of humor, I responded to my wife, essentially referring to God laughing at the scientific odds we were told months earlier and then granting us a child anyway. A number of days later, my wife and I made the trip to the doctor's office where we both heard the heartbeats of our baby, then just weeks old and probably the size of a pea. There's really no other way to describe this feeling of hearing the heartbeats of your first child for the first time. Chills, goosebumps, amazing. I'll never forget that day. My wife and I are the youngest children in our families. I have two older siblings, my wife has three older siblings, and most of our brothers and sisters have been blessed with children to this point. As a result, the questions came naturally over the years since my wife and I married in 2010. When are you guys going to have kids? So you can understand the joy and excitement my wife and I had in sharing this latest news with them. It was nearing Christmas, so we decided to reveal this news to them on Christmas Day. In the days leading up, we made a trip to a local craft store. My wife decided on a uniquely shaped miniature chalkboard on which she would write, Your gift is due to arrive July 2018. And with that message, in the bottom right-hand corner of each chalkboard, we taped the ultrasound picture of the baby. And over the course of three days of Christmas week, we presented each gift, first to my father and stepmother, then to my wife's family, then to my mother and stepfather and the rest of my family. The reactions were priceless. I remember one of my sister-in-laws saying, it truly is a Christmas miracle. Two days after Christmas, my wife visited a healthcare center for a checkup in her 12th week of pregnancy. While I had attended her earlier appointments, I didn't think my presence would be necessary this time around. 
It was supposed to be a routine checkup. Check her pulse, check her blood pressure, sign some paperwork, yada yada. During this checkup, a nurse put a stethoscope on my wife's chest to record her heartbeat. Then the nurse put the stethoscope on my wife's stomach to do the same for the heartbeat of the baby. Only thing was, the nurse couldn't find a heartbeat for her baby. My wife was sent to another healthcare center, one with an ultrasound machine. The ultrasound confirmed the baby had no heartbeat. The ultrasound pictures showed the fetus lifeless, unresponsive. I work as a sports reporter covering high school sporting events. I just returned home from covering a game that night with the intentions of charging to our second floor home office and cranking out a story for the next day's paper. It's then my phone rang. My wife was on the other end. Our baby is gone, she said. I called my sports editor and told her I had a family emergency. I would not be sending in a game story that night. I can't remember how fast I floated on the highway to the healthcare center that night as I raced to be with my wife. I pounded on the steering wheel the entire drive, screaming at God. The second Tuesday of every month, Charles Snatter Funeral Home offers a free burial service for stillborns and babies lost before birth. The service is held at a cemetery in Millersville, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. One weekday, I arrived at this funeral home to drop off the container holding the fetus of our unborn child. As I turned to exit the building, a middle-aged man approached me. I know you from somewhere, he said. Turns out this gentleman had done photography of youth athletics for a local school, and while we had run into each other a few times over the past few years, we had never truly engaged with with one another, I should say. Turns out this gentleman does the photography thing on the side. His full-time gig is actually being a pastor for a local church, and to be honest, that time he was the exact person I needed to see at this moment in my life at that funeral home. You see, To that point, we had informed our families of the devastating news, but I had not really spoken to a soul about the details of everything. This gentleman is the first person I opened up to about everything. Turns out his daughter had suffered a similar tragedy in years past. We talked for probably 30 minutes, and at the end of our conversation, he wrapped his right arm over my shoulders and said a prayer. It was the first of many signs that I feel let me know God had not abandoned me. The next blessing came on the day of the shared burial during the following Tuesday afternoon. It was still roughly winter, and the days had been bitter cold, dropping into the single digits with a fierce wind. But on this Tuesday afternoon, the weather warmed up into the 40s, and while the wind held strong, it went dormant during the funeral service. And turns out the pastor who led that funeral service that day turned out to be the same gentleman who had consoled me weeks earlier at the funeral home. My wife and I were among several couples that day who said goodbye to our children. I'm recording this in November 2018. It's been several months since the miscarriage. We're out of the woods now, and my wife is doing much better, and so am I. But I'd be wrong to say we've moved on, because you never really move on from something like that. A friend who has been through similar circumstances told me that you instead learn to live with a new normal, that there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the child we lost. That child would have been born back in July. That child would be four months old right now and I probably would have changed many diapers to this point had many sleepless nights. But I'd be going home tonight and seeing our child's beautiful face. Instead, I have to live with this new normal. I've had to learn to accept that God did bless us with a child, to accept that our first child is now up in heaven, and the only way we will be able to meet our child is by making it to heaven. A second thing I've discovered is an inner warrior in my wife that I never knew existed. 
because she's had it worse than me. And if you think about it, it's understandable because over the last three years for my wife, her husband got cancer, both of her grandparents passed away, and she had a miscarriage of her first child. That's a story I hope she opens up about one day. But I'll just say she's fought through everything and come out a better person for it. A third thing I've discovered, we are blessed by having some incredible folks in our lives, both family and those from church, and friends that I've become closer with as a result. You guys know who you are. Thank you doesn't do it justice. Fourth, as hard as it is to accept, we just have to let go and let God. I know, cliche, but it's true for us. Maybe we'll be blessed with another child in the future, either one conceived by us or through adoption. Maybe we have to wait until we get to heaven to be parents. Maybe our calling on this earth is meant for something other than parenthood. Maybe I shouldn't drive myself nuts to answer these questions, because I've learned to accept that there's some questions in life that will go unanswered until we get to the other side. Lastly, we all go through various trials in life. How we respond from those trials is what reveals our true character. It's easy to have faith when things are good, but what about when things are hard? These trials have certainly stripped me down and revealed some things about myself in regards to my true character and my true faith. Anyways, maybe through telling this story, you guys can relate to it, whatever issue you are facing, and know that you're not alone. We all have dark times. I picked myself up and kept going. Hopefully, you can learn something from this story and be encouraged to keep going yourself. At the end of the day, that's what this entire podcast has been all about. Thanks for listening.